The following episode is brought to you by the generous donations of Elizabeth Clark, Daryl Delaney, Ryan Royce, Darren Katzka, Irene Viarito, Laura Pickren, Jessica Smith, Devious Pop-Tart, Natasha Rallerson, Richard Cree, The Cam Family, Charles Compton, Dustin Troop, Rebecca Miller, Edvard Arnoff, Michael Clark, and David Scrams, along with all of our generous patrons. I'm Philip. I'm Trevor. I'm Randy. I'm Jeff. And welcome to Session Zero, a.k.a. Eberron Previewed, um, for campaign number two. Um, this is exciting. Um, certainly Woo! not the way we would have wanted to do this, um, but uh, we, we are here and the time has come to kick off campaign number two. Um, so we just wanted to do an episode for you all to kind of preview what to expect with the next campaign, introduce you to the player characters and the section of Sharn that they're going to be existing in, at least for the early parts of the campaign primarily, and give you all a little preview of what to expect. Um, so yeah, um, let's just go ahead and kick off with, um, Okay, so before we get into character introductions or anything like that, I just wanted to give you all, uh, as the Game Master, kind of a high-level overview of the general tone and and what to expect going into this new campaign. Um, and what that basically means is last campaign was a very high fantasy, uh, if our heroes fail, the world shall end and all shall be brought asunder and yada, yada, yada. Um, that's not the kind of story that we're setting up to tell this time around. Um, the, the campaign is going to start and exist in Sharn, the city of towers. Um, and our heroes are going to be based out of the lower part of the city. Um, uh, the lower Memphis plateau, uh, and the, the problems that they are going to deal with and interact with are largely going to be, uh, city based. They're going to be urban, um, issues. So, uh, and the reason for that is kind of a symbiotic relationship of, we knew we wanted to do something outside of D and D. Uh, we had had conversations surrounding that. Um, and I wanted to tell a different kind of story with the next campaign and D and D doesn't do well with smaller intimate stories. Uh, once you get past level eight. So, um, that, uh, that kind of facilitated a change in system. And Genesis um, is a great system, but uh, a lot of times it it doesn't do the super epic high fantasy um, as well as D&D does. So it's very much a, a symbiotic relationship of the type of story we're telling and the system that we're using to tell it. Um, he just defended a bunch of Genesis fans. 
I know. And a bunch of D&D fans. Yes, I, I offended everybody. So, um, yes. Say something about Savage Worlds, Eric. <laughs> I played it once. It was She's okay. She's still got my mom, Eric. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, the, the campaign is going to be very grounded, um, set in an urban environment um, in the lower parts of Sharn. And our heroes are going to be much more... I don't want to say grounded individuals, but the the power growth that they're going to undergo is uh, far less drastic than what we saw with um, Dex, Beric, Theradak, Draconos, Booyah, and all the rest. Um, so, yeah, uh, one house rule. Well, there, there's a lot of house rules going into this in the form of uh, created content. Um, I did want to give a quick uh, shout out um, specifically uh, to Scott Zumwalt for his Something Strange supplement uh, on the Genesis Foundry at DriveThruRPG, uh, Joshua Taylor for Critical Elements, um, those two uh, supplements, oh, and Keith Kappel for Ready Fight, uh, those three supplements provided a good deal of the talents that were stolen to further flesh out um, an Eberron Genesis conversion, um, in addition to a lot of uh, homebrewed stuff. Uh, but one thing we're going to be discussing when we introduce our characters is the concept of obligation. Um, fans of the Star Wars role-playing game that is the predecessor to Genesis um, may remember this from the Edge of the Empire, where our characters have certain things that they are obligated to deal with from time to time. Um, and so each of the players has selected an obligation for their character, and we're going to be doing uh, the obligation mechanic where we will roll uh, rather than at the beginning of a session, like the rules state, we're going to do it at the end of the session um, to see if anybody's obligation is going to play a sizable role in the coming adventure. But a fun thing that we're going to incorporate is we're going to do that role on the air. So you all will get to hear and potentially speculate as to how their obligation will manifest itself in the coming arc. Um, so, yeah, uh, I feel like you all have heard plenty from me for the time being. And so I'm going to cede the floor to the wonderful players that are going to be participating in this campaign um, to introduce you to our primary cast of characters and um, how they know each other and what their relationships are. So um, let's go ahead and just for um, just to make it flow smoothly, uh, Randy, how about you go first and introduce us to Milo Kegbottom? Okay. Uh, Milo is a halfling, mm, a little younger than middle-aged, I believe, and... He used to own a small bar that, in his mind anyway, he believes was intentionally burned down. Uh, it killed his wife, and he escaped with a nasty wound thanks to a friend that you'll meet in a minute. Uh, he's a mage that has just acquired his powers. Uh, Milo is obsessed with finding out who the perpetrators are. And there may or may not be any, but in his mind, he believes there are, and he is obsessed with finding those people. And I 
think that's about all for him right now. Uh, Milo, now that he has the magic, he is essentially a shadow sorcerer. So we'll see how that plays out. Very cool. Cool. Um, Jeff, do you want to introduce us to Hob? Sure. Um, character's name's Hob. He big. He strong. He protect. Um, he is. Uh, he's 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 a he's a Goliath. So he's a big boy. Um, he was and honestly in a, in a way that I've not decided yet left his Goliath clan took up with the blood of Vol practiced their ways uh, one might equate it to a, a monk from D&D because um, that's what we did and <laughs> uh, some things about Hob uh, Hob is a nickname given to him by by the, the Boromars themselves uh, when he began to work for them and didn't really have his own surname, they thought it was funny to give him a halfling name since he's seven feet tall. So he goes by Hob. He's fiercely loyal to wherever he's at, who has ever taken him in. Uh, he really thrives on a sense of belonging. So um, he is fiercely loyal to our gang in particular and the Bormar crime family syndicate uh, writ large. Um, which sometimes leads to recklessness, which is a problem. Um, he came upon Milo's bar while it was burning. Burning. It was on his protection racket. He was collecting, checking up on everybody, making sure everything was okay. That's true. Um, I forgot to say that, that he was running numbers, and now he's a low-level accountant. Sorry. Go ahead, Hob. Sure thing. Um, but so he's always, or, or since that point, he has he feels that he failed protecting Hob, protecting Hob's business, or Hob, pardon me, protecting Milo, protecting Milo's business, and particularly his wife. So he has a sense of indebtedness to Milo, although it sounds like with Randy and I talked about it, Milo is not trading on that in any real way. Um, and the other person in our gang, he feels particularly close to, although it's certainly a, again, a, 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 a need or a feeling of a need to protect whether or not he actually does need to protect her um, is going to be Philip's character. So I'll let him do the talking about that. Um, but uh, the obligation that I chose for Hob is that there is a bounty on his head. Um, Eric, do you want me to go ahead and say what my thought was or leave that to... No, you can you can say what happened if you want. Okay, so when Hob first started working for the Boromar clan, uh, because he gets overzealous when he gets into a group, he went to collect some outstanding debts from somebody who was more powerful than Hob realized. And he embarrassed this person in front of people this person did not want to be embarrassed in front of. And so it's a low-level bounty. It's not even necessarily bring me his head for this amount of money, but it's if you see this guy and you can get this guy to me, you get this guy to me because there's retribution to be made. So that is the the reason he has a, a, a mark on his head. He also has a bunch of tattoos, which are marks on his head. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, that kind of transitioned us into um, Philip uh, speaking about Eris, if you'd like. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be playing 
Eris. Eris is a uh, a young woman um, who looks like she's around uh, twenty. Um, she is small uh, and um, wears a big long coat with plenty of pockets. Um, uh, that is, you know, generally sort of dull colors, but lots of bright additional sort of added decorations on. Um, she has uh, sort of dark uh, blue dyed hair. Uh, and the most noticeable thing is that she carries, um, she carries a flechette launcher. She carries a, uh, a, a magical crossbow that requires no mechanical operation to launch projectiles, but does so through a, a bound elemental. This is her personally created unique signature weapon. Um, she is uh, a survivor. Of, she's, a, she's a Chiron refugee. Um, she survived the morning because as a much younger person, she was taken uh, in a raid when the when the goblins turned on the Chirons and overran and created the country of Dargul. She was um, part of the population there. And as occurred to the various species that lived there, uh, she was enslaved by some of the goblins. Uh, she was eventually rescued by a character that I assume Eric will introduce in a little bit when you go into the thing, or do you want me to introduce this character? You can introduce the character. That's fine. Okay. Uh, she eventually escaped slavery uh, because her owner um, took her with him on a voyage and their ship was attacked uh, by a Lazar pirate uh, named Olfen Morkret. Uh, and uh, Olfen brought Eris to Sharn where he retired and opened a restaurant and she rents a room above his restaurant. Um, but she owes him her freedom. Uh, she got caught up with the Bormar clan because she'd never else to go. Uh, we've established that uh, Milo was her initial point of contact there and got her set up in the clan uh, and probably also introduced her to the person who's been giving her under the table uh, mage right lessons, um, which brings me to his, her obligation, which is a favor. She owes a favor to her mage right tutor, uh, who um, is teaching her the art of artifice uh, off the, in an off-the-books sort of manner. She is, by nature, pretty scared, although she attempts to conceal this a lot. Uh, she is independent, doesn't warm up to people much, um, a bit flighty. has a tendency to cut and run and can be, um, that can make her very inconsiderate. Uh, however, with this group, uh, she feels safe in part because uh, Hob watches out for her. Hob is a shadow in which she is very happy to hide, um, living in a rough part of town uh, and being a fairly small person. Uh, so she is particularly attached to Hob uh, from a, a felt safety degree. 
Um, like most Chirons, she is highly artistic. Uh, she is a musician, although the, mu- although the musical instrument she plays is of um, goblin origin. Uh, but that artistic talent has given her a nice connection um, and a bonding to the fourth member of our companion, played by Trevor, who we'll talk here in a minute. Uh, and they are uh, theater buddies. Um, so I think I hit everything. Oh, uh, her day job is she repairs uh, she repairs um, slot machines. As, an, as a major right, she repairs slot machines at the Lucky Nines Casino. Very nice. Um, and well, that that's everybody. Us, yeah. <laughs> um, that brings us to last but certainly not least, Trevor, uh, to introduce us to Reynard Turnvale. Yes, Reynard Turnvale is an elf. Um, that uh, what did we what did we end up calling him? A, uh, a rogue bard. Is that what the (laughs) term would go with? Okay. Um, So Reynard comes from a very wealthy family uh, and he had a history of abusing that wealth and taking advantage of it. And so his uh, family kind of excommunicated him and uh, uh, he's still longing to live that extravagant life though. So he... uh, Definitely likes to pick pockets around the casinos and the theaters and um, just kind of take advantage of the people who are out and about. Um, But also loves the theater himself. And that's how uh, a bond was made with Eris. Um, uh, So Reynard's obligation uh, is, is, whoa, is that what it's called? Obligation? Yes. Okay was uh, family, um, which can kind of come into play in a lot of different ways. It is based around uh, my family, which I have a history with. Uh, <laughs> not my family, Reynard's family. I'm not crazy. <laughs> That's a Jeff quote. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and so uh, he, he very much dresses... Um, ornately and still tries to give off an air of being wealthy uh even though like when he goes home at night it's just kind of a shoebox apartment okay well um thank all of you for um creating an interesting band of characters that it'll be fun to see what happens with them and how the story goes um so yeah um like I said before, they they're located in the lower Memphis plateau and their their places of residence are kind of scattered throughout different districts and things like that. Um, but the the thing that connects all of them is uh, they are members of a small criminal organization that reports to the Bormar clan. Um, and uh, they they do jobs for um, the Bormar uh, in various parts of the city, of uh, varying levels of ill repute, uh, but a one thing was made abundantly clear to each of them as they joined this organization and got to know the way the city works underneath the rule of Boromar, and that is you do what Boromar allows. 
Um, so just because we have a adventuring party full of criminals does not mean that we are playing a evil campaign where nobody has respect for the law. Um, there will be plenty of city watch members that are on the take from Boromar and you are expected to respect them and do what they say. Um, if for no other reasons than to hold up the appearance of their authority. <laughs> um, uh, so things like that, where um, this campaign, the, the intention is certainly not to let it devolve into um, kill, kill, stab, stab our way through our problems. Um, there, and if you've a ever wide... done a, if you've ever done an RPG game or campaign where there, none of the guys in your party did crimes, no, hats off to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did a fully lawful good campaign. Um, so. Um, so yeah, there is a, a wide cast of characters that we've kind of discussed in our session zero that happened before this recording, um, that, uh, you all will be introduced to, uh, one of them, it plays into Eris's backstory, uh, with Ulfin, the, the pirate that, that helped her out. Um, and, uh, Hob sleeps in the establishment of, uh, Savia, um, the, the name of the business is Savia's. So, um, so yeah, there's a there's a a good cast of NPCs that we'll be bringing into um, into the game. Um, so the three NPCs that you all are going to be introduced to in session one that are going to play a direct role with the party are also fellow members of the the gang um, that they are part of. Um, and uh, just to introduce you to them, the the first one being um, a warforged named Sigil. Uh, who has a strong affinity for magic. They are very soft-spoken and not at all interested in getting into a fight, uh, much less a battle or a war. Um, they have some, some thoughts, beliefs, opinions that many would label as uh, off-kilter. Um, not, to, not to them, though, and certainly not to a lot of people uh, in especially the lower reaches of Sharn. And then we also have... A, um, a pair of siblings that are also joining the party on this first job. Um, it is a half-orc and a half-elf. They are sisters named Kath and Sana. Um, so Kath and Sana are half-sisters that are extremely adept when it comes to combat and uh, when they go off on jobs, especially with Sigil, they they are very much the ones that look out uh, look out for them. Um, and uh, one aspect of the district of the city that they reside in is the Burning Ring, which is a fighting ring that kind of transports to different various warehouses and and fighting places. And Kath and Sana are. Um, noted there when they show up to fight they are undefeated in the burning ring whether or not they're going up against other competitors or um a monster in the ring um so they they are fighters well known in the district um so yeah that is kind of a a very high level discussion of the the neighborhood and uh some of the characters that our party is going to be interacting with um in the immediate um and, and an introduction to our characters. I know this is going to end up clocking in at a uh, shorter episode length than normal, um, but that's for two reasons. Uh, one, it's a preview of the campaign, and we're not actually going to be rolling any dice. And also, Session Zero took longer than we expected, and it's 10.30. Um, 
<laughs> on a, on a work night. So yeah, yeah, we're not the first podcast to put out a filler episode called Season Two coming soon. <laughs> so. Um. This one's like ten times as long as some of them that I've I've gotten before. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, okay. So thank you all so much for listening. I hope you all are as excited as we are about the coming campaign um, and to try out a new system and and see how all of this goes in the world of Eberron. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you all so much once again. I am your game master, Eric. I'm Philip. I'm Trevor. I'm Randy. I'm Jeff. And we will see you next time. It's a clear night in Sharn. Glasses clink and hush giggles fill up the air on the skyway. The elites of the elite look down on the city they own without a care in the world. In a less reputable part of town, the night air is filled with screams and chants from the Organics United protest. Signs that read, no war, no war forged and send them back to scrap glimmer in the light of nearby shops an unknowing warforge walks by peacefully until they realize a flask of acid is just splashed across their back burning through the metal the sounds of cheers break up the chance as the warforge runs away into the darkness a shifter cackles as two large humans punch each other with all of their might as a crowd circles them shouting out bets the shifter looks over his event feels his coin purse, and shows his fangs in a wide-toothed smile. A sky slope cuts between two towers as it ascends through the night. A gray-eyed elf fiddles with his bowstring as he looks over to a halfling deep in his own thoughts. A hulking goliath sees something in the distance and gives a reassuring nudge to the blue-haired young girl next to him. The half-orc and half-elf sisters nod to the others as the half-orc taps the warforged pilot's shoulder and points to a platform up ahead. This city may be in need of heroes, but with this crew, heroics comes with a bill.